Glad you guys are here with us this morning, and uh, we've been talking about this, uh, and our weekend is called One, but our, our theme this, this weekend has been becoming and finding our identity in Christ, becoming the person that Christ has called us to be, and, and we look through, uh, through Paul's conversion story in, in his life and what God did through him, and, uh, and, and, and it was, it's, it's an unbelievable, uh, just, you see the transformation, the steps in Paul's life. Um, in, in this becoming this person. And, and before I get started this morning, I just want to let everybody know that you're not there yet, okay? You're not there yet. I'm not there yet. We are not going to be there until we meet with Christ. And there's not this, this once and for all thing, this I'm saved and salvation and that's it. It's this becoming, this constant transformation. I'm becoming this person that has their identity in Christ. And until the day that we see Christ, until the day that we are fulfilled uh, in Him, He is always going to have to be our Savior. And He's always got to be our Lord, and He's always going to have to, 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 to forgive us for what we do. And we spent all weekend with John Randalls. If you guys have never seen John Randalls, he's a scary-looking dude. You know what I'm saying? He walks in here, and, I mean, if you don't know him, you're like, dude, I don't have any cash on me, you know, kind of thing. And, uh, and, and so that's just John Randalls. But, man, the guy gets me psyched up. I mean, he speaks all over the, the, the country, uh, all over the world, and, he, and, he go, and he, he's really a big athlete guy, and so he speaks to all these football teams, and, and the guy knows how to get you psyched up. My favorite, the part that just gets me psyched up the most is when John Randall says, says the word Jack. You, get, you know what I'm talking about? He's like, listen, Jack, you know, and I just get like, yes, you know, and one day, we're going to have a kid come to one, and his name's Jack, and he's going to be freaking out, you know. He's just going to be like, God, are you, tra- what, are you trying to tell me something? What's going on? And this kid's just probably going to, you know, need counseling or whatever. Uh, you know, because when John Randall's man, he says, Jack, it scares you. Uh, but he just, I mean, a godly, godly man. Um, and uh, just God using him in amazing ways. He left last night at like 10 or 11 or 12, whatever, with all the time change and drove to Houston. And the guy just, I mean, he just goes back and forth sharing the, the message of God and sharing the message of being one with Christ and sharing the message of finding who we are after we find who God is and who His character is. And this morning, I think there's four steps, I think there's four parts in our transformation process. And all four parts are just as important as, as the other, but they need each other. You can't take one out of the other and still be transforming, still become this person with their identity in Christ. The first one I want to talk about this morning, and the one that, that happened first when Paul met, met, when Saul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, met God, and God changed his name. God changed his identity. Changed his identity. You can write this down in your notes, in your, in your bulletin. A change of identity. Galatians 2.20 says it like this. And turn there with me. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body, by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. He gives us a new name. He gives us a new identity. Identity theft with God is not a bad thing. He gives us an identity, gives us a new name. Jacob wrestled with God. Jacob encountered God, and what happened? God says, you're no longer Jacob, you're Israel. Right? Abram encounters God, and God says, you're no longer Abram, you're Abraham. 
Saul encounters God. And God says, listen, you were Saul, now you're Paul. And I've got some amazing things in store for you. Names are powerful. Names are powerful. Back in the, in the Bible days, I mean, your name almost meant what, what was going to happen to you. What was going to happen to you is tied in to your name. Okay, the name Moses means saved from the water. The name David means beloved. And it's a good thing because the things that David did would have got him excommunicated from the church in, you know, in today's world. But David's name means beloved. Gideon means mighty warrior. And so this morning, what, what's your name? Not, not what's your name, like you've got, you know, your mom named you and she put on a little sign outside your door, this is what you know, you know, your name means. But, but what is your identity this morning? Who are you? Who are you? Is God trying to stop you in your tracks this morning, as he did with Saul? And Saul had this identity, he had this, 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 this persona of who he was, and, 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 and that was him. And God stopped him and said, you are no longer this person. Is God trying to stop you this morning? What about the name of God? What about God's name and the power that's, that's in that? Look at Psalms with me. Psalm 910 up here on the screen. Those who know your name will trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Look at that again. Those who know your name will trust in you. Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. And, and, and here's what happens. When God changes our identity, when there's that time in our life where we hear God say, I want you to be mine, it's time for you to step forward. When God changes who we are and changes our identity, we are no longer our own. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We have a different purpose. We have a different perspective. We have a different outlook. We have a different calling. And then what happens? The one who, who and, and wrap your mind around this if you can, who knit you together before you were ever in your mother's womb, who knew you before anybody else in this world knew you, who had his name, your name on his mind, on his heart, while he's hanging on a tree, collides with us and says, you're no longer your own, you're mine. I love you, and now I want to give you what I've got to give you. And he changes our identity. And we represent the name above all names. You call yourself a Christian, you're representing the name Christ. And, and that, that may be enough for us to leave here this morning and just to contemplate and think about. We, we may use that, that term, that word, that name Christian, you know, very loosely. And, and uh, you know, I think we all know kind of the area that we live in, that it's, it's pretty rare to not meet somebody that says they're a Christian. But the term, the word, the name Christian means little Christ. You represent the name above all names. That is your identity. The second part in the transformation process is we have to have a change in our message a change in our message. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has become. And then later on in 1 Corinthians, go to chapter 4, verse 7 for me if you've got your Bibles. 
I want to I look at this verse, and I want us to, to kind of realize what, what's going on here and what's being said. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For what gives you the right... Oh, I think that's the wrong verse. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. All right, here we go. 2 Corinthians. I could have played it off, and y'all would have never known. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. See, the, 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 the reason for the jar of clay is not for them to sit it up on their mantle and, and, and you don't notice the jar of clay. You don't notice the, the jar that's made of clay. It's supposed to be plain. It's supposed to be simple. But the point of the, the jar made of clay is to hold something that's more valuable than itself. To, to, to almost put itself in the background so that you can see the treasure. Our lives are not about looking at me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at the money I make. Look at me. Look at the clothes I wear. Look at me. Look at the people that I hang around with. Look at me. Look at my job. Look at me. Look at what I drive. Look at me. I go to Grace Point Church. Look at me. I'm a Christian. It's about being a jar of clay and that we hold something, a treasure that's bigger and more valuable and, 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 to, be, and, and to be loved and wanted and, 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 and to treasure more than anything else of ourselves. And the change in our message goes from, and, and the life before the change in identity is a life that says, hey, it's, just, it's, what, it, it's every man for itself. It's what I can do. It's what I can get. It's what, how, how I can live in, in the best way that I can. If I can get the more, the more things, then I'll be okay. But when God changes our identity, stops us, then he says, you are now a jar of clay. You are to be shining your treasure to all the world. You are to put yourself in the background. It's not about me anymore. We exist for the sake of the treasure. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Lots of scripture this morning. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. A popular passage that Paul wrote out says this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created is supreme over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Him and for Him. He existed before anything else. He holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So He is first in everything. For God, in all His fullness, was, was pleased to live in Christ. And through Him, God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. You know what that passage is saying? You know what the change in our message is? It's this. He created you. He set you free. He forgave you. He is the image of an unseen God. He existed before anything was created and preceded all things. He designed all things and holds all things together. In the end, our message is this. And what this passage is saying is that He is all that matters. Amen? He is all that matters. He is the beginning. He is the end. 
He set all things into motion. He's the king over things we see and what we don't see. In the end, it's not me that matters. He is all that matters. And skip a couple verses to verse 22. This is very interesting. Paul is writing out the supremacy of Christ. And in verse 22 goes into this and says, Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his presence. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Look at the NIV, the way they put it. It says, without blemish and free from accusation. And look at this word, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. See, the, the if clause there is not referring to the, the, what Christ did and, and actually, you know, uh, if, if you do this, and that means it proves what Christ... That's, not, that's never in question what Christ has sacrificed for us. That's never in question what Christ did for us on the cross. It refers to a life that's free of accusation. Let me explain this. This is something worthy to write down. Something worthy to, to, to tattoo. Or you can just write it on your mirror. Consistency delivers us from accusations. I know y'all got booklets. Write it down. Consistency delivers us from accusations. Go back to that verse 22 and 23 and look at this again. Can we not? All right. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, consistency keeps us from accusation. Consistency in our message. Consistency in saying, God is everything that matters. But, but only in here and here and here. And if we're inconsistent, you guys know inconsistent people that have inconsistent message, that they say this and they say this, and they say something else when they're around someone else, and their message changes. We will never be accused if we are consistent in who we say we are and who we say Christ is. Third part in our transformation is a change in character. A change in character. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in His glory. All the way up in this section of Colossians, all the way in those first couple chapters, Paul has talked about the supremacy of Christ, about who Christ is and what Christ has done. All the way up until this point. You can go back and read it later in Colossians. He just talked about who Christ is and what Christ done. And here in, verse, in chapter 3, at the very beginning, he switches and he says, and he moves to tell us who we are and what Christ has done and who Christ is. He moves from that and he says, now listen, this is who you are in that for Paul, there is an intimate link 
between theology and how we act and what we know. Does that make sense? Paul is making that link there. He says, here's the theology of Christ. Here's who Christ is and what he's done. And then there's a link. He says, it's not just knowing who Christ is and what Christ has done. It's not just about theology. It's about linking that with, with, with expressing what we know. Expressing our character and changing our character to what we know in our minds, what we've been taught, some of us, for, for years that we've grown up in church and linking that theology to, to, to exactly how we live all of that stuff out. Who are you? I, I want to get personal this morning. But I'll, I think we've all listened to enough sermons and not listened to God and, and, and thought about ourselves. I know I... We all get into that. And, and a lot of times we can, walk, we can walk in to church or one weekend or whatever and we can listen to what everybody is saying. We can, we can sing to every song and sing every lyric but never ask ourselves the tough question. So I'm going to ask, your, ask you to ask yourself the tough question. Who are you? Not not who is your wife, not who is your husband, not who are your kids, not who are your brothers and who are your sisters. Who are you? If they had a Webster's on, on names and they said your name, dictionary, here's, here is the definition, who are you? Not who you say you are. Not who you want to be. Who are you? No one, guys, catch this, no one will ever believe your message over your actions. No one's ever going to hear you say, this is who I am, this is what I believe, this is what I think, and they see you live a totally different way and believe your message over your actions. It doesn't matter who you say you are. It doesn't really even matter who you say God is. If you proclaim the name of Christ, and your character doesn't match up with your message, then no one's going to listen to your message. You can measure your character by what happens when you get tested, when your faith gets put to the fire, by your actions. Your character is your testimony. Your character is your testimony to the people around you who want to know who God is, who want to know who Christ is. And my question to you is this. Are you, and we've heard this quote before, the greatest argument for Christianity or the greatest argument against? There, there is no in-between. There is no gray area, guys, with Christ. Choose today whom you will serve. Don't be lukewarm because I will spit you out of my mouth. Choose who you're going to serve. There, is, there isn't a, well, I, I portray Christ some and I think that he's blessed by some. It's, it's all or nothing. There's got to be a change in our character. James 1.22. If we hear it and don't act on it, it's incomplete. If we hear the words and we know these things and we don't act on it, our, our character is not matching up, 
with what we know and what our message is, it's incomplete. Faith without works is dead. It is incomplete. And only by giving of oneself, catch this, only by giving of oneself is enough taken away to make room for receiving more. Only by giving of oneself is there enough room for receiving more. Character can't change if you're still leaving some of you in your equation. Can I say that again? I want you to listen. Character cannot change if you're still leaving some of you in the equation. You're in the formula. But after that equal sign in the equation, your character cannot change if you're still part of it. The last part in becoming a person who has their identity in Christ is this word, becoming. Are we looking like Christians, little Christ, putting it on, but never, and, and we got people fooled, right? But never really, truly, are we, are we living in this word, this name, the name above all names, just Christ. And the line is drawn, like I said earlier, there is no gray with God. There is no gray with the Lord of lords. There is no take any path up the mountain and just as long, you know, because you'll get to the top of the mountain and God will, will meet you up there no matter what, what path you take. There is no lukewarm. God, I'll give you this, this, and this. God, I'll give you my, my you know, my spiritual life is church and my family and my, my you know, my, my kids and, and all this kind of stuff. But God, you know, my job, nah. My music, nah. My movies, you know, it's not a big deal. And there is no gray area with God. And the line is drawn. But we have to, this word becoming, we have to buy into this, that we are not there yet. The greatest thing that the enemy can do against us. See, here's a, here's a promise. I want to hear some good old amens on this one. All right? Satan cannot get us anymore. Amen? But the greatest thing that he can do is render us useless. The greatest thing that he can do is say, you're good right where you're at. Hey, what do, what do you have? You know, you're much better than this person sitting next to you this morning. How many times did you go to church this past month? You gave a pretty good tithe. You raised a great family. You guys don't hang out with the wrong friends. You're okay right where you are at. Here's the problem with becoming. Here's the problem that I think most of us, the majority of us are dealing with. Is that we are scared of the unknown. Aren't we? We are scared of the unknown. We're scared of change. We're scared of becoming something and letting God actually use us and work in us and make us who He wants because we really don't know what that is. We are terrified of what's unseen, of where He's going to take us, comfortable with where we're at. Uh, God, please don't mess up my nice Christian life. We're scared of becoming this person that Christ really 
can use. We're alive, but there's no pulse. There's no love. And a lot of us have given up on even trying. But what I think, guys, what what I really am convinced of is that God wants us to wrestle. God wants us to, to, to fight. God wants us to claw and to get to this place where Christ is always transforming us into a new person, always transforming us into a person who has a different identity, a different message, different character, and we are never, we are never settling. We have never stopped. We are constantly fighting after and wrestling for. If we love this, it's worth the fight, right? If we love it, it's worth the fight, even though we may not understand it all. We know we love it, and it's worth wrestling for. It's worth fighting for. It's worth saying, God, what are you making me? I do not get this, but God, I'm still going for it. I'm still walking in it. Joshua 24. Up on the screen with me it says, So fear the Lord and serve Him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols of your ancestors, worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. And God is saying, stop following everything that's cheap and made by me. Stop following all that stuff. Follow me. A covenant was renewed. And the people said, we will serve the Lord. Just like lots of us are going to be leaving this place saying that same thing. You know what though? You know what the Israelites did? They didn't keep the covenant. They said they'd serve the Lord. Throughout the entire Old Testament and the entire New Testament, you see people, you're just like, how do you not get it when you have a burning bush and God like shows himself? How do you not get it? But we see people who fall and people who mess up and people who don't quite get there. And just as I'm sure as you guys are saying right now, most of you have said before and you sit here and you think, dude, am I really doing this again? I mean, some of y'all are seasoned veterans that just, God, you know, I really need to commit myself to you. I'm going to live 24 years, and I don't know how many times I've prayed, restore again to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me again the joy of your salvation. And you get to the point where you know what the results are going to be, that it's going to last for a week or two, and then you're back to normal. Good, good thing we got 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I am weak. But your grace is enough. I can't do it. But you're powerful in my weakness. I cannot keep becoming. Because guys, 
I, listen, I'm not pointing anybody out. I'm looking at myself, putting myself under the microscope and saying, am I really becoming the person that Christ wants me to become? Or am I comfortable with where I'm at because I know how to play the Christian card? Or am I letting Christ transform me? I am weak, but His grace is enough. I want you to listen to a testimony here for just a little bit. I want you to hear about a guy. Pete, go ahead and come on up. Where is he? If you guys have met Pete, you'd know if you met Pete. Okay? Pete is a, is a man after God's own heart for sure. And uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit this morning about just his life and, and what he has, has come through and, and it may surprise some of you guys and all that kind of stuff. But he's got, there, there's an important part of this I want you guys to catch that, that God can use anybody from any situation, any background, but he's never finished in working with us. All right. Is this on? Can you hear me? All right. Jared called me this week, and, and the first thing he said to me, he's like, hey, Pete, will you share your testimony? And I was like, yeah, that, that's something that's easy for me, man. I can share my testimony anytime. And, and then Jared said, hey, I want, I want you to talk about your identity in Christ. All right. I mean, that's, that's a pretty broad subject. He's like, man, talk about, you know, where are you right now? How did you get to where you're at? And I was like, man, that's, it's weird how we go through life so many times and we don't, we don't reflect. We don't think about, man, this is what God's done in my life. Um, and it's powerful. It, Jared, it changed my life. Just, I mean, just being able to sit down and think about those things. Um, I've been walking with the Lord for about three years now. It's been... Um, a pretty crazy process. Some of you guys, like Jared said, I may trip some people out up here. Some of you guys know me. Some of you think you know me. Um, like I said, got a long story. This is a story, though, of God's grace and his mercy and his love for a dude who was totally jacked up. I mean, was messed up. And God pulled me out of a ditch, and he cleaned me up. And, and man, God is good. Right? The Bible tells us we have two paths. We can walk the path of the world or we can walk the path with Christ. And, and I'm here to tell you, the, the path with Christ is where true life is. Uh, I've tried everything else, man. I've tried, I've tried the world. Um, and so let me, I'll just tell you a little bit about that. Uh, my dad's a pastor. I, I grew up, man, my, my life was good. And uh, every, they, I was treated well. My parents loved me. They showed me Christ in everything they did. When, when I was in, in fifth grade, I, I started experimenting with, with drugs, alcohol, um, tobacco, just, just all those things. By, by the time I was in eighth grade, I was addicted to cigarettes, I was addicted to, to dipping, I, I was drinking off and on here and there. And uh, I get to high school and I... I start messing around with drugs even more. Getting, I'm getting really deep into things. The devil's got a strong hold on my life, and basically my life was out of control. Um, I played basketball, played on one of the best team at the time, one of the best teams in the state of Texas, and my life was partying and drugs and, and sports. And it was, man, it was everything you could want at that age. I had, I had friends, I had, I had girls. I mean, just you know, whatever, anything that the world says you need that you want, I had it. Um, I'll fast forward to the time when I'm, I'm 20 years old. I was 
away from my parents, living down in South Texas. I, by the time I was 20, I had three minor in possessions of alcohol. They're telling me, man, you get another one, you're going to jail for a while. I, I'd been evicted out of three apartments for, um, they thought I was selling drugs. I wasn't selling drugs, it was my roommate. Um, but anyways, I was, I was in this situation, and man, life is just spiraling out of control. I'm, I'm totally messed up. I'm confused. I'm lost. I have no idea what's going on. I didn't know what to do. I had the Waco DEA watching my apartment. Me, right here. I'm a senior in Bible college right now, and I had, I had the Waco Drug Enforcement Agency watching me. And it, it's crazy. To make a long story short, I move up to Arkansas. I'm, I'm trying to get my life in order. Um, I think, man, if I, just, if I just straighten up, if I just, man, get away from all that stuff, everything's going to work out. It didn't. I moved back up to, Ar- I moved to Arkansas, and, man, I find the same people. I find druggies. I find drunks. I find whoever. And start doing that. One day, a friend of mine who, who I was running around partying with, he, uh, he, <laughs> he asked me, he said, Pete, you want to go to church? Dude, why would I want to go to church? And uh, he said, man, we might be able to find some girls there or something, somebody who can straighten us up. Man, what a great idea. (laughs) Why did I not think of that? Um, So anyways, we wound up going to church. Little did I know it was going to be the day that God just totally rocked my life. I I was sitting at a church here in northwest Arkansas, and I couldn't, man, I can't even tell you what the pastor said. I can't tell you anything. All I know is, I felt truth for the first time in my life. There, there's something about it. I can't even really explain it other than when God hits your heart and he hits your soul, it separates everything that's not real, everything that's not true, everything that's not from God, it separates it. And it was the first time um, in my life that I'd ever experienced anything like it in my life. Um, two weeks later, um, after that first time in church, I wound up giving my life to the Lord and, and Man, God rocked me. He got a hold of me and wasn't, wasn't letting me go. At that time, I didn't, know, I didn't know a single Christian who lived up here. Every single one of my friends were drug addicts and drunks, every one of them. Um, and so I was just like, man, Lord, I don't, I don't even know what to do. My, my dad was calling me, and he's telling me all this stuff, and I'm just like, okay, read the Bible, pray. Man, what do I do? And here, here is where I really started finding my identity in Christ. And... And young people, this is, this is so huge. And it's so basic. We hear it in church all the time, but it's trust God. Trust that, trust that God knows what's best in your life. So I'm sitting in my house over in, in Salem Springs, and, and I'm still in, in this mess. I'm trying to get out of it. And, and I'm just sitting there praying. I'm like, God, you have to give me friends. You have to, you have to do something just to get me out of this. And I, so I start seeing God. He, God starts providing, man. He brings friends in my life to help me to, to just help pour into me. He he's given me scripture through his word and it's coming to life like nothing I've ever seen before. And so here is I'll give you a little example of, of how I found my identity in Christ and uh Randall spoke about it a little bit yesterday and it's the picture of a sculptor. God uh, your first step in finding your identity in Christ one is coming to know the Lord. I mean that is that is the big one. And then I was just there. I was like, okay, what do I do? And so I was like, again, think of a sculptor, how he just has this big block. And he comes up with a chisel, and he just starts hammering away at this thing. 
and he's hitting it, and he's hitting it. And I had all this junk in my life. I, I mean, you, and it's a biblical principle, what you sow, you reap. And so I had sowed, sown into my life all these bad things, and, and so I was trusting God. And I was reading his word, and I was praying, and he would stretch me. God would tell me to do things, and I would be obedient to it. And he'd take this hammer, and he would just, he would knock it off. And so after, after three years, this is where I am. I am, it's, it's still crazy to me. I'm a senior in Bible college. God is calling me to the ministry. He's, he's forming my life. And, and that's how, when Jerry told me to, you know, just look back and, where, how'd you find your identity? Man, I found it, I found it through the word and through prayer. And the word that he said the most, man, it's being consistent. It is an every, everyday thing. I'm spending time with Christ. And, and through that, man, I, I don't know where I'm going to be next year. I don't know um, what, what the end result's going to look like, but I see God, and he's got that chisel and hammer in his hand, and as much as it hurts sometimes, but as good as it is all the time, you know, God is forming me and, and helping me find my identity in Christ. So. I'm going to ask the band to come on up and, and lead us in, in time of just response and worship, but, but it, it's, it's not... I just want to say this. I've said this before. You guys have heard me say this before. But it's so important and so key. We'll end on this. It's not who you are, but what you are becoming that matters. If you keep living your life the way that you're living today, you've got to ask yourself this question. What are you becoming? Stale? Dead? without a pulse, vibrant, loving, creating. What is it? If you keep living your life today, what are you becoming? And so this is just going to be response time. If you guys, if you want to pray, uh, we'll have people up here in the front. Mike and I will be up here. If, uh, if you just want to come and, and kneel at the steps and do that, um, but just spend this time just seeking and, and asking the question, who am I, God? Who are you? Who am I? And what do you want with me? Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. And Father, I pray that, that you would just speak to us, God. Without a doubt that we couldn't miss it, God. Hit us with that chisel. In your name we pray. Amen.